0: Anyone who loves their father or mother more than Jesus is not worthy of him. Anyone who loves their son or their daughter more than Jesus is not worthy of him. And you're like, what? (laughs) Yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today. Some of the most controversial and confusing statements that Jesus makes. And we're ending our series in Matthew. We've been here at this controversial statement. We're going to make sense of it, and we're going to talk about what Jesus is talking about. Let's take a look in Matthew chapter 10. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace. I did not come to bring peace but a sword, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or their daughter more than me is not worthy of me wow that sounds pretty dramatic right but as dramatic as it sounds matthew still records it a bit bit softer than luke who in his gospel luke 14 verse 26 says this if anyone comes to me and does not hate their mother and father hate their wife and children hate their brothers and sisters yes hate even their own life such a person cannot be my disciple hate your family is that what jesus wants What's going on here? Now, I know some of you are like, sweet, I've always hated my family. I'm glad Jesus is on the same page. My family's super annoying, and I'm glad that I have now a religious reason to hate them. What's going on here? Because this is Jesus who said, love your enemies, but hate your family? How does that work? What's he talking about? What's going on? Now remember the context here. Jesus is in a long extended passage where he's warning his followers as he sends them out to heal and help, like he's been healing and helping, that because of their allegiance to him, that Culture will sometimes be hostile to them and remember we talked about last week Sometimes even your family might be hostile to you because of your allegiance to jesus He warns that many of their family members were going to turn them over to be imprisoned because of their commitment to become students of jesus's way of life And guess what that's exactly what happens as you leave the gospels you move into the book of acts Jesus dies is resurrected and ascends and guess what people start turning on their family and saying hey, there are followers of jesus Let's arrest them And the rest is history. So Jesus is predicting something that happens here But then Jesus says you thought I was coming to bring peace, but actually I'm coming to bring a sword To your families. Now. What's he talking about there? Why would we want a sword brought to our families? He's answering a critique. So everyone was looking forward to the Messiah this long-awaited king Who they saw as restoring Israel and defeating all their enemies and so as people talked about the messiah They were like he's gonna come and he's gonna defeat the Roman Empire and he's gonna make us Israel the new Rome we're gonna rule the world and he's gonna be our awesome king That's gonna defeat all enemies and make us the number one people in the world And so they were looking forward to the Messiah and then Jesus shows up starts doing all these messiah things healing and helping starts using Messiah language only one problem He doesn't gather an army. He gathers disciples. He doesn't kill Romans. He heals Romans He doesn't say turn on the Romans in your neighborhood and slit their throat He says love your enemies and so people are like, I don't know We thought that the messiah would bring conflict instead. This guy seems to be a man of peace and he says you've got me all wrong I'm, not bringing peace. I'm bringing conflict But i'm not bringing the conflict that you expected or wanted He's saying, you've got it all wrong. I am going to bring conflict, just not the one you wanted. You want me to fight Rome, I'm going to do something different. He's saying, I've come to dismantle some things, but it isn't the Roman Empire. I've come to dismantle the very way you arrange your lives. He's saying we must be willing for our, our families to say, you hate us, or you wouldn't live this way, because we're so committed to Jesus, even if our family forbids it. And that's exactly what's going to happen in some of the Jewish families. They're going to see the children and the spouses and the brothers and sisters who follow after jesus as denying their jewish heritage and denying their family so that family members are like you must hate us if you follow jesus that's what he's saying here in first century israel family was everything it was how you defined yourself it was how you found your value and your worth and jesus wants to upend all that he wants to bring a sword to the idea that family is the source of our deepest identity and meaning in life i think american churches still make this mistake though thinking families are the source of all identity and value and meaning in life they create their programs and their ministries around families they emphasize the role of father and mother so much that if you're anything different like if you're divorced or if you're a widow or if you've never had children or you're unmarried you're like uh where's my place there's an unstated hierarchy, a hierarchy in um, american churches especially for women it goes, unmarried, married, and mother. And uh, I remember there was a, a girl who, 18, got married as soon as she could, had a kid right away. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but in the church my sister was at. Um, my sister's unmarried in her 30s. And this, this uh, 18-year-old, you know, who has a kid, is like, well, now that I'm a mother, I can kind of order you around because I'm on a higher level. And that was kind of the message she got from church. My sister's like, Girl, you haven't even lived yet. You know, like, you, you have no idea. You think you've arrived because you got there. But th- that's not where you find your identity and your value and your meaning. That's not where we should find it. But I think many times that's where our churches tell us, to. Where we should, the hierarchy in the Bible is Jesus is the master and we're all apprentices. In the company of Jesus, we are all beginners. That's the hierarchy. I'm not a little bit better, you know, like, I'm the pastor, so I'm a higher level, or you're this. Like, we find our identity in Jesus, and you're either Jesus or you're a disciple. What Jesus is saying is that he wants us to find our identity, our value, and our meaning in him and in our relationship with him. Our identity is as a disciple, not as a father or a mother or a brother or a sister or as a wife or as a husband. It is not in whether you're a married or unmarried parent or not. Your value is in being a beloved disciple. Your meaning is found in being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what he did. Jesus says, you're enough. You don't have to become more in order to become valuable. You're worth dying for just as you are, regardless of whether or not you ever have a family, whether or not you have any of these family ties or family titles. What Jesus wants is for you and me to become agents of love and people of peace, someone who lives and loves like he does. That's his goal for your life, and you can do that whether you're married or unmarried, whether you have kids or without Whether you have all the titles and all the dreams and all the accolades and everything you want or not because our value is not found in those things It's found in being a disciple And jesus is so brilliant here. I often think about jesus as being good You know, we talk. Well, he's perfect. He's sinless. He's good, but we don't talk enough about how smart he is I think jesus was the smartest human who ever lived and if you look at his teachings They just they cut right to the heart of the human Condition look at how brilliant this is. This is what essentially he's saying when we love god more We love our families better When we love our families more than god, we love our families worse If our spouse is the ultimate love in our life If we love them above god, we place on them an impossible burden that they cannot bear We put on them a burden to fulfill us, to affirm us, to satisfy the deepest longings of our heart, and that pressure crushes people, and it ruins relationships. People become objects to complete us instead of people to love and sacrifice for. There's so many romantic comedies where it's like, you complete me, I'm incomplete without you, and that looks really great in a movie, but you live that out over a lifetime, and it's crushing Because a person cannot complete you. As Augustine said, there is a God sized hole inside of you, and if you try to fill it with anything other than God, you're gonna feel more empty. And we have people, uh, millions of people in our world, in our city, in our nation, who are trying to fill a God sized hole with a relationship. With parenthood, with a new role, a new title, a new car, and none of those things satisfy. We have to find our identity and purpose in a relationship with God. When we find our ultimate love and satisfaction with God, then we can love others. If we don't, people become objects to complete us instead of people to love and sacrifice for. It makes our relationships transactional because we love this person ultimately because they fulfill us. They satisfy something in us. It makes love selfish. But if God is our ultimate love and the source from which we find our identity and meaning and worth— I can love people without needing them to behave a certain way without needing them to affirm me in any way I can love because the source of our deepest center is a well that has depth outside of the relationship to feed it Um, My mother-in-law she often uses this example with my nephews and my niece and and I think it's good She's like are you a bucket filler or a bucket empty deer? Everybody's got a bucket and are you taking from their bucket? or Are you filling their bucket? And I think that's a good thing to teach kids. But at the same time, if it's always a transactional relationship, there's sometimes times where the people you love most have nothing to give you, nothing for you to take from, and so it's not mutual, mutually beneficial. And at that point, you have to find a way to fill your bucket outside of them. You have to find a deeper source of love in order to fill them up when they have nothing to give back to you. This is why a parent loses their mind when a child grows up and doesn't follow the carefully curated plan that they imagined for them, because they made that child the ultimate love in their life and the center of their existence in their world. And if that child gets off track, it feels like their whole world is crumbling because they made that child their world rather than God. If your spouse is the center of your identity, value, and purpose, what happens when they die? Jesus is the only identity we cannot lose. He never runs out of love for us. Now, uh, some churches have weaponized this idea that we should love God first and then family. Some churches have weaponized this idea and they're like demanded lots of church attendance and lots of volunteering at the expense of your family in order to benefit the church. Uh, Jesus isn't suggesting that you build a pastor's personal ministry kingdom at the expense of your family That's not what he's saying here He's saying find the deepest source of your identity value and meaning in being with jesus becoming like jesus And ultimately doing what jesus did as you become more like jesus. You will love your family better It's not that you love them less. It's that you love them better when you love god first So if We're supposed to be about becoming like jesus and ultimately doing what jesus did. What did jesus do? Well, he sacrificed himself for others. Let's look at the final verses in chapter 10 verses 30 through 32 through 42 Um, yeah Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it anyone who welcomes you welcomes me Becoming like Jesus means making everyone feel welcome and wanted in the kingdom of God and you notice Jesus here mentions taking up your cross carrying your cross Um, We have such a, a safe version a neutered version of the cross today because it's so associated with religion and faith but in the first century the cross was such a disgusting image of shame and death Um after his death and resurrection, we now think of the cross as a hopeful thing But in Jesus' day the cross was seen as something dark and something um something that was Burdensome and a a part a gross part of society Uh, The only way I can kind of make us feel the same thing is it's like jesus says uh, Instead of take up your cross It would be like him saying hold out your neck for the taliban executioner's sword Like it it hit like that to the people hearing this But he's telling us and them to sacrifice for the good of others to make people feel welcome and wanted like he did To give to those in need Jesus says when we do this not only are we like him He says we are doing it for him We're giving it directly to him He says when you greet someone you're greeting me when you give a cup of water You're giving it to me Jesus is reinforcing what he said earlier that we love people better when we love God most and we show our love to God by loving people Offering a cup of water offering a word of hope offering a hug We're both giving it to God. He says but we are acting on God's behalf towards people as we work to become people of peace and Agents of love as we ask Jesus to heal the broken things in us and around us and as we ask him to use us to bring healing into the world um we need to remember that we are acting both as jesus but the things that we do he says are things for him to him so many times the people the person in front of me i think about like well what have they done for me Or, what are they gonna do for me? Or, like, what's my relationship with them? And I forget that the question I should be asking is this person in front of me is a person made in the image of God, and by loving them, I am loving Jesus. By loving them, I am both acting as Jesus and acting towards them as if they were Jesus. And so, this morning, we're ending Act three of our series in the book of Matthew. And I wanna end it like how we started this summer, back in June. Uh, we ask the healing king to bring healing to our homes and our neighborhoods and our hearts and our cities. Remember chapters eight and nine were all these healing stories. In chapter 10 he sends out, us out to heal too. And so this morning, I, I want to end in a different way. And as the, the introvert in me hates this, and, uh, but we're just going to do it. Um, will you just let's just gather together and pray together as we end our series in Matthew this morning. Um, And let's just pray for god to heal our relationships to heal our families to heal our workplaces in our neighborhoods in our city Our world heal our bodies heal our dreams heal our hearts. Let's just gather up and pray for a few minutes. Okay Come on I know this is weird It's okay. I feel weird about it, but I left it in my notes. And just as I pray, just pray along quietly or out loud, however you want. Let's just pray together. Lord Jesus, we ask you to heal. You're a God who heals. And we are broken people in a broken world. And there's so much brokenness around us and in us. Um, God, every day there's things that I think, why can't this broken thing in me get fixed? And there's broken things in the people that I love and in my relationships with people. And many times I'm the one breaking them. And, God, I just pray for these people gathered here that you will heal us, that you will heal our hearts, that you will heal our bodies. For those not here, Lord, that you you will heal their dreams, How, how brokenhearted people are. I know people who have wept with me this week because their lives, there's so much brokenness. And, Lord, I ask that you heal because I'm powerless. I can't do it. And I ask that you do it. In us and through us, heal our neighborhoods, Lord, that are filled with many times violence and people who are lonely and depressed and hurting. Heal our families, Lord, that many times, like, things build up until they just break. And God, I pray that you will heal our workplaces and our co-workers, that you will heal our city, Lord. There's so many, so much brokenness in our city. Show us where we can help and heal. God, heal our church, heal our hearts and our minds. God, just you're a healing God, and we're coming to you and saying we can't heal ourselves, and there's things in people's bodies that they haven't even talked about that need healed, and I pray that you will kill those, and Lord, I pray that you would just give us a heart that sees in every human face we see your face, and Lord, may we reach out as you would and be loving and kind and patient and offer hope like you do. Lord, we pray to you because you're the healing king. You're the only one who can help us. We desperately need you, and we invite you, Jesus, to come and heal. Amen.